Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to The Goods, a film podcast. It's a monumental week because this is our last entry in Circus Month. Circus Month, yes. Hey, Dan, welcome back. How's it going? It's going very well, Brian. You know, one thing we say is we do The Goods every week. Rain or shine, we're like the Postal Service. What's their motto? Neither rain nor snow nor sleet nor hail will ever stop the U.S. mail. There you go. I don't know if that's an official motto or not, but indeed, this is an episode that in other circumstances I might have skipped because I'm actually out on vacation. I'm at the beach. I'm sitting in a beach house right now uh, ready to talk about the Care Bears movie, but not only do we not miss an episode of The Goods, but I have a feeling this is going to be a fun conversation, so I'm glad to be here, Brian. Yes, I'm psyched, because regardless of the merits of this film, my main goal was just to get at least one other person to watch the Care Bears movie, but to my surprise, I found that it has been more than one person who has watched the film. Uh, Dan, who all in attendance with you there watched the movie? So the beach house that we're renting, we actually have both my family and my wife's family. And then, of course, me and my wife and my two daughters. And so we had watching for much of the runtime. Let me see if I can get the remember everyone. It was me, my wife, my two daughters, uh, my mother-in-law, my mom, and then my wife's two brothers who are both enthusiasts of not so good culture and so it was a good crowd and uh yeah you you definitely spread it to more than just one person well that's great i mean i was i was ready to have a power trip from just inflicting it on on one person and now there's like 10 so uh (laughs) maybe this is a little taste of what you felt making an entire theater watch uh heavy metal parking lot (laughs) yeah maybe just a little yeah, not, not quite there. That was a little more monumental, but I still am feeling pretty good tonight. Sure, it's thrill and just a little bit of guilt. Yes. And as we have said, perhaps none too subtly, the film we are covering in today's episode is The Care Bears Movie from 1985. It was produced by the studio Nelvana, a Canadian studio that largely does animation. And it was directed by Arna Selznick, who I looked at our records. It's actually only the second film we've covered directed by a woman. The other being My Octopus Teacher, although that was like a team effort between a couple people. So as far as a sole female director, this is our first movie that we've covered that met that criterion. It's it's a little disappointing to me, and I, I feel like we should look for some more broad representation in the future. I follow a couple people on Letterboxd to try to watch one movie directed by a woman per week. And there are a lot fewer than you might guess if you haven't looked really closely at it in the past. One more quick thought on the production background of this film. We actually guessed it was Canadian. I did not know it was Canadian, but we did guess it was Canadian because there are a small handful of times that they slip into Canadian accents. They say sorry, don't they? Something like that, yeah. I can't remember specifically what it was, but 
uh, one of Katie's brothers pointed up the screen and said, okay, this is definitely a Canadian movie. That's the biggest tell for me is if they start saying sorry with an with a O sound. Right. Or like tomorrow. And this is maybe the most debatable of our circus entries. Uh, going in, the circus theme seemed more prominent than perhaps it ultimately proved to be, but we'll talk about that. But before we dive in, I do want to have a little bit of Circus Month discussion, uh, since who knows when we will cover a circus movie again. I wanted to start by giving a quick shout-out to circus movies we might have covered. So I'm just going to quickly rattle off some honorable mentions, which perhaps would have been more circusy than what we're going to talk about here today. So start the in-memoriam music of what could have been uh, because here are our Circus Month honorable mentions. Dumbo, Water for Elephants, The Greatest Show on Earth, Freaks, Man on Wire, The Marx Brothers at the Circus, A Tiger Walks, Dr. Doolittle from 1967, Toby Tyler, Coraline, Big Fish, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Seven Faces of Dr. Lau, We're Back a Dinosaur Story, and Big Top Peewee. Did you have anything else that you were mulling over that uh, I didn't just list just now, Dan? Yeah, so you actually mentioned a couple that were on my short list. Um, when we started the month, I was figuring I would pick two movies, and indeed I did pick two. I wanted to make sure we had at least one arty film in, in our month, and you scratched that itch with The Elephant Man. I wanted to make sure we had at least one kind of old-school early pre-code type movie where you would have more graphic and unrestrained depiction of circus life and circus animals. Uh, I considered freaks with that one. Ended up going with, what do we call it? The circus? Is that the name of the Charlie Chaplin one? And um, so freaks was also on my short list. I'm not sure I would have picked it because I've, I already had an older one. Now, if you hadn't picked elephant man, I was going to pick, and this is at the top of my list, and if I was picking one more, I still would have picked this. That is the Federico Fellini movie La Strada, which is Italian for The Road, which is like, you always see it on the short list of masterpieces. It's like number 50-something on They Shoot Pictures, Don't They, all-time ranking, way up there in the sight and sound polls and... I know it deals with people joining a traveling circus, but it's also like an Italian film with fantastical, surreal elements that's supposed to be great. I also was a little wary of, of undertaking a challenging masterpiece of the form uh, when I really don't have much background in Fellini prior to this. So I was a little scared of doing it, but I'll probably pick something Italian at some point down the line. Well, good news. This week's film is neither challenging nor a masterpiece. So <laughs> you dodged a bullet. The last one that I just it stumbled across my feed somehow. I don't really know anything, literally anything about it other than the title and the fact that it's from the 20s. And it is a movie called He Who Gets Slapped. And I think it's about a clown or a mime or something. And I, I just wanted to talk about a movie called He Who Gets Slapped from 1924. So that was that was my last runner-up. 
I also haven't seen Big Fish, and it's one I've always wanted to see, and I saw it on some circus movie lists, so I, I was maybe thinking about that. But So a couple overlaps with yours, but yeah, he who gets slapped. The next one that I would have picked, uh, do you have a verdict? Like, if if the month was extended by one more week, what your pick would be? Yeah, it would be La Strada for sure. Okay. Well, I'm in the boat where if... I hadn't done Care Bears movie this week. I would have covered Big Top Pee Wee. Mm, uh, yeah. Longtime fans know that I have followed Pee Wee's career. And it's the second film after Big Adventure. And I think we would have some interesting conversation with that one. Right. But if the roster for the month stood as it now stands and we were just going to go on into the future for another week. Uh-huh. I think I would pick Water for Elephants. I've been curious about that one. It's like a period romance film with uh, Robert Pattinson in it. I saw the trailer. I was curious. Okay, yes. Yeah. It's, it's a circus movie I haven't seen yet, so. Yeah, the, the last one for consideration for me, and the only one that I, I might have picked instead of La Strada, although I, now that I know that you've seen this, I probably wouldn't have picked it, but it is Man on Wire, the documentary... I think it's about the guy who went between the two twin towers, tightrope walker. And I've always been really curious about that documentary, but haven't seen it. Yeah, I recommend it. And to anybody listening, just know that there is a wealth of circus films out there that we have not explored yet. Indeed, a takeaway. For me, at least. I didn't know that there was going to be that many circus movies out there, but it's its whole genre. We didn't really dip too much into the horror well. I know that if you want to like start looking at clowns, there's there's quite a bit of options out there in, in the scary realm. I guess Cirque de Freak had a couple of uh, horror elements to it. Oh man, that's a great point. I didn't even list Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which is very circusy. Listen to the theme song for Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And if we're dropping deep cuts here, my last one is it's just one scene from a movie, but it's always stuck with me. And they made a Beatles jukebox musical called Across the Universe about, I don't know, 15 years ago. And the scene for Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite is this super trippy circus that uh, just kind of blew my mind. And I, I want to go watch that again. Yep, Dan sent me the link for that one, and it was very strange. And did you have any other circus discussion questions, Dan, that you wanted to raise while the month is still with us? Sure. So, as we've mentioned, there is a deep and widely varied pool of circus films for enthusiasts to peruse. My question is, is there a type of, or, or a, a, a format or a premise for a circus movie that you haven't seen that you'd like to see? And I have an answer. I'll start. Okay. I, I mean, maybe I just want to mash up my two uh, theme months. I want a circus time loop movie. And I think you could do some interesting things like putting on the same show every day and things go slightly differently in each show. And he knows when things are going to go wrong. And I don't know. I feel like you could do some really interesting stuff with uh, a circus themed. I also like it when it's contained in a specific setting for, for time loops, like in, in Groundhog Day, the fact that he snowed into a single town adds some charm, some sense of space. And I feel like a circus would be a good environment for that, too. So 
Sign me up if there's ever a circus time loop movie made. So, as we've said, what we have offered here is not a comprehensive depiction of the entire circus genre. So, for all I know, things like this could be out there, but I'm going to say maybe one set further in the past than we've seen so far. Like a medieval circus movie. Just like very, very early traveling troop story. Right. It's like more um, jestery type stuff. Yeah, bards and things. Less clowns and yeah, and like what's the name of the the book, the Canterbury Tales, like like that type of stuff. You could maybe have like the, I don't know, body goofy stuff. Sure, or just an alternate Greatest Showman with uh, David Costabile. Okay, Th- there you go. All right, but now let's get into the meat of the matter. We have. A movie that I think will scratch some itches for both of us. It is a musical. It's a circus movie. But it's also not a biopic. This is not a true story in any way. <laughs> and it... You have any footnotes on that one? You sure this didn't happen to a guy named Nicholas? <laughs> as far as I know. That didn't come up in my research. Uh, no, no real Nicholas Cherrywood. Uh, But finally, it prominently features bears. And as I think we've said, Dan is an avowed fan of bears. I I do love bears. And I do have thoughts on the Care Bears. And perhaps I'll hold them for for just a few minutes. A little bit of suspense. Uh, Sure. Because I wanted to take a brief look at the history of the Care Bears franchise and the company that created this film. Just a a quick blow-by-blow to give us some background. So the Care Bears characters were created under the umbrella of the American Greetings Greeting Card Company in 1981 because they're all about representing feelings. If you've never seen a Care Bear before, I don't know if you're out there, but uh, they are technicolored bears, they live in the clouds, and they have tummy symbols that reflect some dominant trait of their personality. And it's it's usually an emotion, but not always. It's like uh, the seven dwarfs almost, but instead of having distinctive and evocative designs for each of the bears, they're all just color-coded with like a clip art icon on their, their tummy. And there's a lot of overlap. It's mostly hearts. Um, some have got like suns or cakes, but they're almost all positive emotions. And, and like just vaguely in the spirit of love uh, which is why grumpy bear is the best bear because he stands out he's dark blue and has a like a sad cloud on his chest and actually gets some personality uh, just like grumpy is the best dwarf exactly yeah yeah grumpy's the only one who has even a single modicum of personality that distinguishes him from the the other bears i guess the other ones do have some signature things but like Grumpy definitely stands out because the rest of them are good vibes only bears. The other thing that they can do is like produce objects that relate to the symbol on their chest. So like Secret Bear plays a pretty prominent role in the film and Secret Bear's symbol is a lock. And so he, he can make like locks and keys. Their magical ability coming in as a newbie on this this franchise Relative newbie. I haven't. I don't think I've seen any Care Bears movies 
maybe since I was like five years old. I, I remember seeing them in the past, perhaps the specific one. I couldn't tell you, but I, I knew that I had seen at least something when I was a young child, but not enough for me to really have any memories of them. So I, I'm basically coming in as a newbie here. Uh, their level of magical ability was very ill-defined to me. It was not clear to me like what they could do and couldn't do and like things would happen where they did something it's like oh because he has that ability he's this kind of bear he can do this thing and other times they just would they wouldn't have any magical abilities and it was i don't know a little bit all over the place but i, I guess you're saying so their magical abilities are tied to like their their care bear type that's my understanding it's like whatever their element or personality trait is they'll usually be able to do something like related to that uh which is why i think good luck bear is the most op because good luck bear can like change fate what like whatever good luck bear needs to happen can happen so it's it's good that they have uh good luck bear off by him or herself for most of the film because i think that would be just a chaotic element if they were center stage the whole time it's like uh, Felix Felicis and and Harry Potter. Exactly. Like, why are people ever doing anything other than just drinking that every single day? Yeah, they got to be juicing. So these Care Bears debuted on the greeting cards in 1981. It says they started selling physical teddy bears in 1983. And this is also when we got our first animated incarnations. I read there were animated TV specials in 83 and 84. These were... The Care Bears in the Land Without Caring, and The Care Bears Battle the Freeze Machine, which is an incredible title. I want to see a band called The Care Bears Battle the Freeze Machine. <laughs> Even The Freeze Machine is just a good name for a band. Yeah, I agree. And actually, this movie was pretty early in the franchise history. It came out in March 1985. And they only got a TV show that was ongoing starting in fall of 85. So this was sort of their debut on the world stage. Which is interesting because, as we'll see, the movie also launched like a secondary lineup of characters. Because other toy movies that would follow this one, if you've seen, for instance, the Transformers movie from 1986 you know that the the movie is the opportunity to introduce whatever the next line of toys is going to be. It's like you got to kill off Optimus to add in Rodimus. Uh, but not a lot of killing off happening with the Care Bears. You j can just pile on more characters. Right. And they followed up quickly with two sequels to this movie, actually. There was... The Care Bears movie 2, A New Generation, in 1986, which is pretty quick for a new generation. And then The Care Bears in Wonderland in 1987. So they were just churning these things out. And the cartoon show ran until 1988. The story of Nelvana as a studio is kind of interesting, too. So they were founded in 1971 by these two Canadian college grads who realized that there was really not much production going on natively at all in Canada. And so they decided to start their own studio. 
We should do that, Brian. I, I agree. Not enough production going on around here. There's like, what, the Discovery Channel? <laughs> uh, and we could just do it because it sounds like they just did it kind of from scratch. So why not? But their first project was a documentary about Canadian comic books. And so they named their studio after Canadian superhero Nelvana of the Northern Lights. A bit of a deep cut there. That's a good origin story. I, I don't know. I like it when you take something from something early that you make and that becomes your branding. It's like it almost feels kind of organic. And like if you know it, it's cool that you you're like in the know. I don't know. Uh, another one for me is obviously to you, at least, obviously, the star kid musical troupe who puts on uh, parody musicals of very high quality, usually released on YouTube, best known for the very Potter musical lineup. But you have a whole post about them on Earn This, our, our blog. And um, that their title comes from a line in I think their very first musical, the, the very first Harry Potter musical one that they made. And another one is Tom Hanks made a production company called Playtone, which is the name of a fake record label in, in that thing you do, Playtone Records. But he just took that and he made it the name of his own production company, which I, I also thought was really cool. Yeah, I like that. Novana's first animated feature was a movie called Rock and Rule from 1983. Have you ever seen this, Dan? I haven't seen it. I, I've heard of it. I'm in a similar boat that I have heard this title thrown around, don't know too much about it, but I'm really curious. So I think in the future, if we're looking for more theme month ideas, I have some ideas for a early non-Disney animation month, like pre-1990 animated features from non-Disney Studios month. Yeah, that would be fun. Get some uh, Tales of Nim, is that what it's called? Secret of Nim? Yeah, Secret of Nim, uh, some Ralph Bakshi. The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I'm really curious, like, uh, there's one called Wizards from, I think, 1977. Really curious about that one. And uh, rock and rule could definitely go in the mix here. But it says they spent $8 million making rock and rule. And it earned back 30000 <laughs> How is that even possible? <laughs> There's a disparity there. Like, I don't know, maybe just their moms came and saw it. Uh, it did not get a lot of uh, advertising push behind it. And this would have bankrupted the company, but Nelvana had some contracts producing licensed television animation that let them squeak by and survive. One of which was another American Greetings franchise, Strawberry Shortcake. Also, this was an interesting era in animation history because it was really Disney's nadir. Like, Disney was not doing well in the early 80s. Right. I think Little Mermaid was late 80s, as was Who Framed Roger Rabbit, although Little Mermaid was more of a financial hit. And that kind of set the template for what blockbuster animated movies would be going forward, which I think us 90s kids kind of take for granted that the Broadway-style musical uh, that, you know, 
generally mimics a fairy tale in some way. That's what an animated movie is. But that was far from an accepted standard in the early 80s, especially for Disney. They, I mean, Disney didn't know what they were doing then. Right. So for context, Care Bears movie came out early 1985, a budget of like $2 million, and it ended up making about $30 million. Compare that to a couple months later, Disney's project for the year, The Black Cauldron, came out, much higher budget, and earned only $20 million. And so the result essentially was panicked animators and disillusioned critics that the at least the highest grossing animated movie of 1985 is an extended low-budget toy commercial. <laughs> Art means nothing. Just whatever works in commercially successful teddy bears. That's what it's going to be going forward. Disney is dead. This is the new model. Although, also worth noting that 101 Dalmatians was re-released in theaters that year and made more money than either of those films. <laughs> so, you know, it's a case where it's like, Worry about making good movies and not so much the medium and you'll do all right. It's like the, the chicken little situation where, you know, the, people thought it was CGI that was making money and not the story. It always comes back to quality. Well, I guess that's not entirely true, but... We like to hope. Yes. <laughs> there was a quote from somebody with Nelvana involved in the production of this film... He said, nobody had ever made an animated movie for theatrical release for as little money and in as little time. <laughs> Which doesn't exactly sound like high praise. It's an achievement of a sort, I guess. It reminds me of Blumhouse, which we talked about in Happy Death Day. Just get it out there. Just make it, get it in theaters, take some swings. And hey, if they're low budget swings, you never know when you might get a hit. That's right. Gotta take a chance and recoup some money after rock and roll. And actually, Novana has done pretty well in subsequent decades. They've found success producing a lot of uh, licensed animated TV series. And often they are based on books. So Magic School Bus was them. Oh. They did Franklin, Little Bear, the more recent version of Berenstein Bears... There's a good chance that, like, if you saw it on PBS and it was based on a book, they probably put it out. Oh, that's cool, yeah. So they're not out of the game by any means. Magic School Bus has been a big one in our household. We went through months where all my older daughter wanted to do was, was listen to audiobooks for Magic School Bus and watch episodes of the TV show, especially when she was adjusting from dropping her nap she would often get really tired right before dinner we needed something to keep her awake and so and so we put on magic school bus and so i'll always associate that show with this time period in my daughter's life when she just needed something to keep her awake for a half hour yeah i'm a magic school bus fan i thought they did a good job with that program but now is the time that we're going to take you through the story of the epic saga that is the Care Bears movie. Now, bear in mind, haha, uh -huh, that 
the individual bears are essentially interchangeable. It's kind of hard to tell what bear is there at a given time because they really do mostly blend together. Uh, but we're going to try to keep them straight for you. We're going to try to say the right bear. I'm going to do my best. That is a generous use of the phrase we, because I think you really just mean you in this case. It's important to me. I, I make no such guarantees of attempts at fidelity. <laughs> He's going to shout out the wrong bear's name. <laughs> I, well, I realized, I said, I think this character, this Care Bear's name blank, but it turned out I, I was just wrong. I thought there was one named Careheart. I thought that was the main dude with the heart, but no, he's like love a lot or something like that. And that was, I was like, nah, I'm out on any bear name. No more care bear names for me. <laughs> I, I'm going to let Dan, I mean, Dan's track record, honestly, with character names is not the best thus far in the series to begin with, but I, I kind of want to let him name all the care bears because <laughs> something like Careheart is a good, uh, just bland, uh, generic Care Bear name. It's almost like a, it's like a Care Bear slur, like a, like a fake. <laughs> wow, way to appropriate Care Bear culture there, Care Heart. Uh, but uh, no, it's it's not too far off the base. Uh, some big players in the film are Tender Heart Bear, which I think is the one you're going for. Uh, also, Friend and Secret Bear get a lot of screen time. When this movie starts off, we get a frame narrative at the Cherrywood Orphanage, where an older couple is putting a bunch of little monochromatic orphans to bed. Everybody here is white, and it's bedtime. <laughs> and the, the children call for Mr. Cherrywood to tell a story. And this is when we find out that Mickey Rooney is in this movie. What Do, do you have a, a Mickey Rooney role that jumps to mind, Dan, that you're familiar with? So when I think of Mickey Rooney, honestly, isn't he one of the old dudes in Night at the Museum? Yep, that's, that's one for me. I'm not well versed in my former child actors who stayed in showbiz for 75 years. So I can't, I'm sure that like he was responsible for iconic roles in his early decades but that's not an area of film history i've ever delved into so he's not a, a actor that i have a strong attachment to I, I feel like the people who would have been attached to him died before he died so <laughs> like he's a little bit of a relic that you know i feel like people don't really talk about anymore i i certainly don't really have any strong feelings about him and for me that wasn't like a whoa mickey rooney it was like, oh yeah, I've heard of him. Okay, that's fair. So, yes, he, way back in the day, he had a series of movies that he did with Judy Garland. But what I know him from, aside from Night at the Museum, as you mentioned, is he voiced Santa Claus in two different Rankin-Bass specials. Oh. He's Santa in Santa Claus is Coming to Town and in The Year Without a Santa Claus with the Heat Miser and Snow Miser. You know, now that you say that, I think the voice did like tickle in the back of my brain the connection to 
those Rankin and Bass specials. So uh, I'm glad that there was something there. And when the orphans are asking Mr. Cherrywood to tell the story, they say, tell us the one about the circus. There you go. There we go. It's a circus movie. Circus month. And one thing about my background with this film, I had a VHS copy that was taped off, I think, a rental that we got from Blockbuster. Like, we rented the Blockbuster tape, put a piece of scotch tape over it, and duplicated it. Or old school piracy. <laughs> but I, I watched this homebrew copy all the time when I was, like, in preschool and I'm going to be real since then, too. I <laughs> I have seen this film many times, and it's one of a handful that I could probably, like, play in my brain. Just, like, sit in place and watch this movie. Uh, not quite. It's a slight exaggeration with this one. But watching it, I could definitely, like, know what was about to happen. So Mr. Cherrywood, Mickey Rooney, starts off his story... And he introduces the Care Bears, who live in Carolot. This is a musical, too. I, I think we said that songs of varying quality, or... I don't know. What did you What did you think of the songs, Dan? I did not like them very much. Uh, there wasn't any one that I felt any fondness towards once the song had concluded. Um, I, I liked... I think my favorite is is one that's to come when they're recruiting all of the animals from the forest of feelings, which I swear I'm not making up. You're going to hear a lot more about the forest of feelings. Yes, you will. It, but there's one also, even after that, that has some interesting visual stuff set against it, even though I thought musically it, it was a zero. That's fair. But in general, um, the music wasn't doing too much for me here. A lot of them had like three or four note melodies that had certain like riffs repeated over and over again. So it's like a thing where you could see it as catchy because it's something that could get in your head, but not pleasant. And I think like a word you might use for that is ingratiating or something like that. It just like claws at the receptors in your brain that remember music over and over again. And so I could see like a Stockholm Syndrome affection towards these songs if you've been listening to them since preschool. So I don't begrudge you that if there's any in here that you that you like. Uh, yeah, I think at best, at the most charitable, you could call some of these earworms. The lyrics are far from inspired. When we first see Carolot, there is a song called Carolot, and it's just talking about this kingdom in the clouds and how it's a rainbow fantasy it's all very manly uh but they say one of the lyrics is share your feelings it's not bad feelings are just you <laughs> it doesn't mean anything it's like barely even english that's nothing <laughs> That's like you Google translate something back and forth three times. So that's what you end up with. Like literally, was there a second draft of that song? Did it was, did, did there any revision or editing phase we to, we still ended up with that lyric or was it literally the first words that they wrote down for that song and nobody bothered to try and write anything new. That's what it sounds like sometimes. 
Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, but we find out that the Care Bears mission is, quote, helping people share their feelings. And to achieve this goal, they watch over the Earth and they just keep tabs on everybody and everything that humans are doing. And they offer help to people who are demonstrating, like, apathy or ennui. Like, having feelings is good. Uh, you don't want to bottle them up. You don't want to not have them. That's their goal. Is they'll, they'll go down and intervene if they see that going on. But it's... See... Okay. Okay, hold on a second here. But they don't like bad feelings. It's like, it's only good feelings. And if you are feeling bad feelings and feeling anger or frustration, that's not the Care Bear way. It's good vibes only. Like, I kind of admire their militaristic approach towards positivity, but, like, that is not how feelings actually work. And uh, I don't know. I, I kind of want to hear a Care Bear tell me what a feeling is. Like, I feel like you, you wouldn't get an answer out of them because, really, they just want smiles and that, that's they don't want feelings they want smiles and so and and people saying they're friends to each other like in a very i mean i mean there's a preschool level logic to it that like i could see my daughter kind of getting and saying this person is my friend and so that is a good thing but like it doesn't go beyond that it's not really about expressing your feelings yeah i think there's something to that I read that the Portuguese title of the Care Bears is Los Osos Amorosos, which is the, the bears of love, the love bears. <laughs> that, I like that more than, well, Care Bears works too, I guess, but yeah. And it rhymes too, so I mean, it's, it, it preserves the rhyme. Um, but <laughs> yes, positive vibes. They're constantly performing vibe checks. But early on during this first song, from their cloud fortress, they spot two orphans named Kim and Jason, who are going to kind of be our central children, even though they don't really have personalities either. Uh, but these are siblings who are said to have stopped caring. <laughs> and this, they say, is at least in part because their parents have left them, which we're supposed to take to mean, I guess, that they died and this is where I'll say that the Wikipedia article has, like, extra stuff in it that I didn't see in the movie. And I don't know if there's, like, a novelization or an extended cut or if this is just somebody's fan fiction. Uh, <laughs> Wikipedia, says, Wikipedia says they died in a car accident, but I cannot vouch for that at all. That's not said. It says they left. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be valuable use of anyone's time here to pick apart the stupidity of any single plot point here i'll kind of let it wash over you in a waterfall here but i disagree i'm here to pick <laughs> these these kids like for you don't just stop caring that's not a conscious choice especially not when you're like six and eight years old or however old these kids are also, I mean, they're just kids walking down the street. Like, what makes them an orphan? I guess they say they are orphans and that's it. But there's, like, literally nothing else about their character, either visually or in the way that they behave, that makes this, like, really kind of key point about their character meaningful in any way. Yeah. And 
I was wondering this watch through, so are they homeless? We aren't led to believe that they are, but we also don't see where they do live. Walking down the street is what we get. Right. So <laughs> it's kind of like Frosty the Snowman. They just started to be alive walking down that street because that's where we first see them. <laughs> uh, they did not exist before that point. But they know that they don't have parents. And so Care Bear envoys, Friend Bear and Secret Bear approach. And they try to cheer these children up. Positive vibes after all. And they don't have much success. But we see that back in Carolot, the other bears, uh, they've got this whole uh, R&D team. Uh, as Dan said, a militaristic approach. They're working on this Star Trek-style teleporter called the Rainbow Rescue Beam that's going to let them teleport Care Bears to, like, empathy missions all over the world whenever they need to get there right away. Uh, it seems like they can transport pretty fast already because they have, like, cloud cars and an air force or whatever. Uh, but this is going to make it quicker. It's going to be the very last word in empathy assistance technology. <laughs> we get some, like, extra annoying baby Care Bears who are messing around and they turn on the rainbow rescue beam. And it instantly summons friend and secret bear back to headquarters you know, people don't quite know the Scotty Beam controls yet, and it sucks Kim and Jason in, too. So now they're up in Carolot. Bears and people were just flying around from setting to setting. I lost track of it. This seems like very powerful technology. I, I kind of want to know, what what is, like, they can make anyone transport to their home at any time. Do the, any Care Bears ever misuse this technology? I guess not, because they're, they're only good vibes. But I was a little confused and uh, astonished by what was going on here. Yeah, Care Bears could easily become lords of the earth. <laughs> they're well positioned to do it, and they just need to take the initiative. But after some singing and dancing, a pretty forgettable song, the Care Bears win Kim and Jason over. They need to open their hearts and feel feelings again. And they're like, okay... But after this one song, Kim and Jason say, okay, we're picking up what you're laying down, and we can love again. We're ready. Back to caring. I remember this transition taking longer as a preschooler. It's, it's pretty abrupt, but we need them <laughs> on our side to be our protagonists from here on, uh -huh. if they can be said, if they can be called that. Uh, but now we get to the part of the movie that I like, <laughs> and... This has not changed since day one because we see an amusement park where a magician's apprentice named Nicholas is griping that he doesn't have any friends. And he's kind of getting lambasted by the magician that he works for because, to be fair, he's pretty incompetent. <laughs> he's like breaking stuff and falling over himself because I guess he's an awkward preteen. He's, like, slightly older than the other kids that we see. Uh, so he works for a magician named the Great Fettuccini. Pretty good magician name. Great name, yeah. And, okay, this is the part where I am going to have to disclose that this is not really a circus. 
But would you say, Dan, that there were enough circus trappings that I'm safe with this pick? Or what do you think? Oh, definitely. I didn't question it at all. I mean, we're told it's a circus. It's, quote unquote, the circus story. There's a magician. I guess a magician could perform at a circus. But importantly, the climax happens with some circus trappings, a fun house and it felt circusy to me. Okay, good. I just I wanted to I wanted to check here. Good. I th- I think it works. But Nicholas's dream is to win people over with his magic and just have a successful show of his own while he's going through some new magic supplies that get delivered to Fettuccini's like box car that he lives in. He finds this spell book covered with runes. And it's very sinister looking. Uh, I think if you learn that you were going to go watch the Care Bears movie, you might not expect something as creepy as this. Uh, because this book is haunted by an evil spirit. Like, picture the face inside the magic mirror on Snow White. Is kind of the thing that lives in this book. But it's a, it's a woman. Uh, one of the reviewers said it was like a combination of the magic mirror and the queen from Snow White. I can see that, yeah. I definitely got vibes of that. One of the only interesting character designs in this whole film. Every single character design in this movie sucks, with a couple of minor exceptions. Um, I liked Fettuccini. I thought he was fun. I liked this evil face. And later, a later iteration of Nicholas's character design, I also liked but I would note that all of those happen in the same approximate plot thread. I don't like any of the Care Bears or anything like that. But one thing I want to say about this, you're right that it's like creepy on the outside, but I thought it was just so stupid, the spells. Like they weren't, I didn't get any of the sense of Sinister when he was reading them that it should have been. Like it it wasn't some arcane words from a deep language it just sounded like nonsense words a little kid would make up like ubi gooby skadooby zappo and that would be what he was reading from the book just like made up gibberish nothing that made me feel like i was hearing an ancient spell that would summon some great power being read i'm looking forward to hearing your rating of this movie Uh, But one thing probably that's most ingrained about this movie to me is the way the spirit like calls to him from the book when she first shows up because she says, Nicholas, Nicholas. And whenever I meet a Nicholas now, that's the way I first hear it in my head. (laughs) Nicholas. Nice. So... Going forward now, we've got like this Faustian arrangement where the book is going to promise Nicholas things and it's going to like corrupt him while the book pursues its own ends. And the end, I guess, is to eliminate caring. (laughs) The Care Bears love to care. And for whatever reason, this spirit is not about caring. I I like this framework of a plot of someone who is troubled but gives in too much to darker desires and powers and becomes corrupted and needs to find a way to escape it and redeem 
him or herself before it's too late. And it's also like, I don't know, kind of dark and sophisticated and morally complex for a movie that is otherwise absolutely none of those things that I just said. So who's a better character, Dan? Darren Shan from Vampire's Assistant or Nicholas, the magician's (laughs) assistant? I mean, you picked the worst thing of one movie and the best thing of another. I actually think Nicholas has more going on for for most of the movie. Yep, yep, I agree. I'm a Nicholas fan. So, right off the bat, the spirit knocks out Fettuccini and says, Okay, Nicholas, the show is yours now. Go on out there. And Nicholas does. But the spirit is, like, sabotaging his act and making it go wrong so that the audience starts laughing at him. Now Nicholas is pissed And the spirit says, oh, well, you can get revenge on them by casting a spell. Here's the page that you need. And he casts a spell that takes away the caring of this child audience. So now you have this bunch of ill-spirited children. And I gotta say, another thing I like is the way that the uncaring are depicted. (laughs) They just have really baggy eyes. Uh, I think Gauntley's character design owes something to the way uncaring people look here. It's just big, dark eye bags. I can, yeah, you, you need, yeah. That's how you know something is slightly off about them. That they they aren't in their full state. They, they're, they're diminished. There's something, something off about them. I, I agree. And so all these kids are like pulling each other's hair and fighting. And now malice is spreading through the land. Yeah, the, this book, the spirit who rules the book. So she's able to like control things with invisible and extreme powers and ultimately kind of uses it, conspires to basically work against those who are against her and her ideals. Which, by the way, also is something you can say to describe the Care Bears. Like, when they were talking about, no, don't use magic. I was like, what the hell do you power your stuff with, Care Bears, if not magic? Like, uh, I guess you are pro-caring and this book is anti-caring. But you can't talk about how you hate magic. And then you can just use rainbows to teleport people to the freaking forest of feelings on a moment's notice. Like... You have magic of your own, Care Bears. You need you need to embrace that and accept that as part of your identity. The Care Bears are just rife with hypocrisy. They need to take a good hard look at themselves in a the mirror. Uh, also, this is another movie, uh, like two in a row, where there's a clan war, in a sense. I mean, it's it's <laughs> pro-caring versus anti-caring, but it might, might as well be vampires versus vampanese. <laughs> But this outbreak of uncaring causes, like, natural disasters to take place in Carolot. Carolot starts falling apart. So Tender Heart Bear, who's the one who witnessed what's going on with Nicholas, races back to Carolot and is spreading the story as cloud quakes are starting to rip it apart. This made me wonder, like, they have a big uh, meter a big gauge in the center of town that shows the world's caring levels. 
And as they drop, the town is gradually being destroyed. So it really made me wonder, like, what did Carolot look like during World War II? <laughs> My wife had stepped away from the film for a bit. And she came back just as some of this destruction was happening. And she said, what's going on? And I said, some people were mad. So the carrying meter is at about 2.5 right now. And she laughed. And then like two minutes later, it actually cut to showing the carrying meter at about 2.5. And she's like, wait, you didn't make the carrying meter up. That's a real thing. A lot of this movie sounds made up <laughs> from the outside. But now that they know where this ground zero, patient zero of the uncaring epidemic is, uh, of course, they got this teleporter, so they're going to send their uh, ambassadors there straight away. I, I guess Friend Bear and Secret Bear get a lot of these jobs because they're the ones who are sent, along with Kim and Jason for whatever reason. And they're going to beam them straight to Nicholas, but of course the movie would be very short if that worked so while they're activating the beam another cloud quake happens and they get warped to somewhere unknown the other care bears are scratching their heads oh no we've used this untested technology in our moment of need and now we're going to have to find where our care bear brethren have gone and this is where we get the forest of feelings <laughs> I can't hear that phrase without laughing. It's just, it sounds like something that's a parody of itself. I don't know about you, Dan, but I often feel like I am lost in a forest of feelings. <laughs> it's true. But this is a new environment, and it's going to be the excuse to introduce the new line of greeting card characters. Because the forest of feelings is a jungle realm that is populated by animals who are essentially Care Bears, but any other species but a bear. Just other kinds of animals who are Care Bears by proxy. And it reminded me a little bit of in 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T, how they have the dungeon for everybody who doesn't play piano. <laughs> it's like one one special area yeah one special area for the piano players everybody else is just lumped together and these characters who eventually get called the Care Bear Cousins they have a naming convention where it's always something heart animal so they're led by Braveheart Lion there's also ones called for instance Cozy Heart Penguin Swift Heart Rabbit. You get the idea. Yeah. Uh, the worst one is the stupid lion. That that stupid lion is to the Care Bears what Tommy is to the Power Rangers. Some jerk-ass with long hair who joins the group and suddenly becomes the boss by default, even though there's no reason for anyone to look up to him. And it should be more egalitarian than it is. But there's no uh, awkward love angle with Braveheart Lion, so no, we're saved true. from that. He doesn't horn in on Kimberly. For what it's worth, we haven't watched two and three yet. We'll save that for uh, next week. <laughs> it also made me wonder how awkward would it be if they got to the Forest of Feelings and there was just already a bear there? I mean, why not? There could just be a regular bear. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
I wondered maybe Tenderheart Bear originally came from the Forest of Feelings because he has that naming convention. Okay. Something heart animal. Maybe all subsequent Care Bears were cloned from Tenderheart Bear and slight genetic modifications were going on. They do have advanced research and development. So, you know, they have elite magic bear technology. So I like this. This is good headcanon for me. Yeah, we got to expand the lore. It's like uh, Homer Simpson has a line about sometimes I get bored and make up my own story (laughs) about, about films. But in my opinion, the song that plays when they're introduced to the Forest of Feelings is the biggest banger of the bunch. Maybe the only one. This one consistently gets stuck in my head. Uh, Again, not too much to the lyrics, but uh, it goes, The forest of feelings care a lot, and earth aren't far apart. They're different in some ways, some ways not, cause home is in your heart. But definitely that riff of ba da 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 ba da da ba 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 da 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 is once it's in my head, it doesn't get out. <laughs> like I, I think if you took the lyrics away and just had that instrumental as a ringtone, it would work pretty well. You like the tune? Yeah. <laughs> I like the uh, subtle judgment there. <laughs> Uh, no comment. Well, I was just too caught up on trying to process who would write the lyrics about how Carolot, the Forest of Feelings, and Earth are not that different. And you had to be deep enough in the lore that you could both independently understand what those three things are, make connections into ways they are the same and they are different, and write a song about it. I didn't get quite to the level of actually listening to the tune. It's also very hard to know where the Forest of Feelings is. Like, it could be an entirely different dimension. I mean, there's no reason that it needs to be on the same plane of existence as anything else. They were teleported there. So it's lucky they were able to be able to be found and recovered at all. Now the other bears have missing members of their group that they're going to have to go recover. And they have this cloud ship that they set out in they, they don't know where they're going but they're hoping that they're gonna just by searching through the clouds in this ship recover the bears and the kids uh, meanwhile grumpy bear and good luck bear stay behind to repair the rainbow rescue beam and also keep an eye on carolot's condition which is rapidly deteriorating yeah so this was pretty interesting uh, surprisingly complex for the trappings we have cross cutting between three different settings with four sets of characters each with distinct goals plus we have a framing story that gives another element given that this is a 72 minute toy commercial i was kind of surprised and impressed that the plot had this much thought put into it right so we have the two bears who are with kim and jason who have now met the Forest of Feelings animals. Then we have the bears on the ship. Then we have Grumpy Bear at headquarters in Carolot. And we have Nicholas and the Spirit at the amusement park. 
right it's so dense every single frame has so much going on as they say <laughs> in the uh, episode one behind the scenes footage for star wars we see that nicholas has taken over the amusement park essentially because now that kids only have negative uncaring feelings that i guess they don't come around this amusement park much anymore except to like spray paint stuff and so he's like the dark king of this abandoned amusement park and he's holing up in this like castle dark ride and i really like this lair that he's got i would live in an abandoned amusement park castle if i could yeah i liked it it was I like the way that the movie was able to take a actually semi-realistic setting and transform it into something fantastical. It's like part of an amusement park ride, but it actually feels like a menacing castle when Nicholas is in it. And working together with the spirit in the book, Nicholas conjures this spirit out of a cauldron. It's like a, another magic monster thing that can shapeshift and take different forms. It's just bad energy made manifest, and he's going to sick it on the Care Bears. My daughters were afraid of this, which I think is a testament to how the movie actually made it into a thing that was kind of scary and intimidating. I thought this was one of the better done elements all of the different things that this scary dark force does and that it uh chases down the care bears i remembered this being spooky yeah it takes the form of like a barracuda that attacks the boat and like an evil tree that fights the animals and it's just always changing into something else eventually Everybody starts to come together, though. The different groups and threads start to merge. Um, because right off the bat, Friend Bear and Secret Bear and Kim and Jason meet some of the Forest of Feelings animals. Which, I think at this point, I'm just going to start calling them the Care Bear Cousins. That's their official title. Uh, that they don't, they don't get inducted into the group until the end of the movie. But uh, let's just save some time. Care Bear Cousins, CBCs, that's who these are. These other species of animal. <laughs> uh, but in pretty short order, the Care Bears on the ship also meet a different group of Forest of Feelings animals. There's like a raccoon and a penguin in a cave that they run into. And so it, before too long, everybody ends up together. And we have just an absolutely too many cooks level laundry list of purchasable stuffed toy animals. <laughs> There's like a pig and a cat and a panda. It's just actually there might not be a panda. I think I'm picturing the raccoon in my head. Not too different. I think the panda comes in sequels, but plenty of animals to keep us busy here. Did you have a favorite, uh, Care Bear Cousin, Dan, that you might uh, purchase a stuffed animal of? Uh, the one that got the biggest reaction overall out of me was the lion, and I was not a fan. The one that got the biggest positive reaction for me was, I guess it's the rabbit, the one that zips around 
and he's always he's always one step ahead of you and and saving the day nip, nibbling away at the the evil tree and uh I, he was probably my favorite yeah this is swift heart rabbit he's blue and one has to wonder if the debut of Sonic the Hedgehog five years later was perhaps influenced. <laughs> I like how the two things that are like the defining qualities of this rabbit are his name and also he's blue. Those are, are what we know about Swiftheart the rabbit. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're at least pretty honest with the names. Like, no one's going to deceive you with their Care Bear label. If they are named Birthday Bear, they're going to have a cake on their chest and be able to, like, magically light candles without matches or something. Right. What you see is what you get. So one of the songs with the Care Bear cousins, there were two of them, I think. Maybe one of them was the first one was just the... Like when they first arrive there, and that's the song we already talked about. And then there's one where they kind of all get together. But there's a part where they show someone sliding on water. And he says, I'm hydroplaning. It's like a lyric in the song. And I was like, I only know that as a driving term. And I looked it up, and that is strictly a driving term. Hydroplaning is when your wheels lose control in the water and you skid. So, like, why was this a lyric in the song? No toddler is going to know what hydroplaning is. I don't know. I guess just uh, maybe it's intuitive enough a concept with the word that you know what's going on or it's something they heard their parents talk about or something. But that was one that stuck out to me. Yeah, I believe the lyric. Again, this is ingrained in my memory. But it's, do you have a house made all out of wood? For keeping you dry when it's raining. I stay on top when the rain goes drop. Look, I'm hydroplaning. So uh, if you had any doubt that I do have a lot of this script committed to memory, uh, it, it's not too much of a fib. Impressive. But yeah, everybody has unified at this point. The two groups of forest of feelings animals bring everybody together so now the only care bears who are not there are grumpy bear and good luck bear continuing to work on the rainbow rescue beam what i've called the rrb in my notes and this big group of care bears faces off with the shape-shifting spirit and we get to see the most powerful care bear weapon which is the care bear stare <laughs> this is essentially a a love laser. It's this powerful beam of energy that they shoot out of their tummy symbols. And the more Care Bears you have, it makes like a deadly rainbow. There's something vaguely phallic about it. It's like the Care Bear Bukaki on top of the the bad guy. Man, I've been trying to decide what line of the podcast becomes the title of this episode, and right now Care Bear Bukaki is a pretty strong contender, as far as I'm concerned. But they blast the spirit with this uh, with this Care Bear stare, and it evaporates once the full cater of 
bears comes together that we've got here. Uh, Grumpy Bear's still not there, so not quite at full force, but it's enough to dispel this shape-shifting cloud thing. So now it's time to trek Nicholas down at the amusement park. And we get a sequence that I like. I think it's the one you're talking about where we get some cool visual elements. Where Nicholas chases Kim and Jason through the fun houses at the amusement park. And we get some creepy calliope music. This is where I had been sweating, afraid that we might not get as much circus as I remembered. But this is a peak circus content of the film. Agree. This this was pretty cool. I, I was legitimately enjoying some of this stuff here. The uh the the creepy descent into not just the the fun house, but kind of the heart of darkness that Nicholas has has developed throughout the course of the movie. Yeah, it's just a lot of decrepit circus trappings and some cool stuff in this fun house. There's like rickety bridges and one of those spinning drums that you have to like stumble through. There's creepy calliope music. Very important to establish scary circus environs. But eventually Nicholas comes out into the open and the Care Bears once again blast him with a Care Bear stare. But it's not enough because he's really evil and corrupted at this point. Yeah. For me, this is the the what the fuck is this shit moment of the movie. It's like, I just am so detached from what is going on with the Care Bears and their abilities. And they have this magic, but it's not enough because of this that I was lost on on the Care Bears. But I, I knew it would turn out all right in the end. <laughs> Uh, the Care Bear cousins who up to this point have been, you know, standing around in battle because they don't have magic powers. Uh, the Care Bears say, no, there's always a way to share your feelings, which sharing your feelings and blasting magic laser beams are not quite the same thing. <laughs> but what the other animals settle on is that they're going to do something called the Care Bear Cousins Call which is just yelling. They're all going to yell really loud. And it's really impossible to tell if this actually adds anything to what's going on beyond just cacophony. But at the peak dramatic moment when we don't know if it's going to work, Grumpy Bear fixes the rescue beam. And think Avengers Endgame. The portal opens up and now the very last few Care Bears are there to add full force to the stare. And this is enough to, like, stagger Nicholas. And he loses some of the spirit's grip on him. But it's not enough to just evaporate the spirit. The spirit is still there, still cackling, not dead. Uh, but Kim and Jason come forward from the crowd and they implore Nicholas to open up his heart. This is enough for him to shake off a bit of the influence and he slams the spellbook shut. And the whole movie, Jason has had a key 
to the book that the tender heart bear gave to him. And he, he has said multiple times, keep this key safe because we're going to need it. And they go to lock the book with the key. But even from inside the book, the spirit is able to destroy the key. But they don't have to reckon with this at all because immediately Secret Bear spawns another key and they lock the book with that. So I guess things are good now. The spirit is locked away. Except when the spirit first showed up in the movie, it manifested the key to unlock the book, didn't it? Yeah. So this is not by any means a long-term situation solution. <laughs> like, this spirit is still going to cause problems. It's just a matter of time. Some other Nicholas is going to stumble on this book, right? It's like Jafar's lamp. Coming soon, direct to video. Care Bears Movie 2, The Return of Nicholas. <laughs> uh, but by the way, speaking of Nicholas here, What's his deal? Is he like a slave to Fettuccini? Is this also like a child trafficking ring that's going on? Like, what's his deal? Yeah, he doesn't need the Care Bears. He needs the rescuers. He needs Bernard and Bianca to look into this situation. I I was thinking FBI or something. Like, get some, some criminal investigators on here. I don't want a freaking Care Bear... Like, he's not going to pay for my education and my food and stuff. It's, I don't know. I was feeling bad for Nicholas. Orphans are abundant in this universe. Apparently. But we jump back now to our frame story. Because, you know, Mickey Rooney is telling us all of this. And, well, we get like a little epilogue of everybody living happily ever after. Kim and Jason just have parents now. I guess somehow, I think it's implied that the Care Bears set this up. I guess they have an adoption agency or something. <laughs> uh, the, the Care Bears just stir a lot of pots. They've got a lot of things going on. <laughs> but the this whole little family now is enjoying Nicholas's magic show because... He got promoted by Fettuccini. He gets to be on stage now. Fettuccini says he, like, saw in a dream that he needed to give Nicholas a more prominent role. And we jump back to where Mr. Cherrywood, Mickey Rooney, is telling the story. And he discloses, in a big reveal, that he is Nicholas. This is grown-up Nicholas. He... Learned to share his feelings, learned to open his heart, and it made him happier than I ever thought I could be. I, I like it as a twist. It adds a certain, uh, like, resonance of it. Like, this was the thing that brought me on track, and now look at all the good that I do with my life. It's, it's kind of like Hamilton, you know? He was an orphan, and then later on, he opens an orphanage, or... I mean, Alexander Hamilton didn't, but his wife did. And that's how the musical ends. Eliza. Yeah. No, that's good. That's a good pull for sure. So I also like this reveal that he's Nicholas. And this is something that's in the Wikipedia article, but I don't see really any evidence for it. 
Although other places also mention it, and I don't know if they just pulled it from Wikipedia, or if this, again, is someone's fanfiction. It seems to be a pretty widespread belief that Mrs. Cherrywood is Kim. Interesting. And she does have, like, pink highlights to her outfit, and that's that would be a consistent color cue, but I don't know. I... It's out there. People have said this, and it's... There are sources to cite, but I don't think there's evidence for it in the film. Uh, but read that as you will. I thought that at first, too. But then I also thought that the old man was... Is it Jason? Is that the name of the other orphan boy? Yes, the brother. And yeah. and so I, and then it's like implied that I don't know, like, they're not, maybe not husband and wife, but they're something. And I was like, wait, what's going on here? And I just got totally lost. And then I went, oh, it's Nicholas. That's who it was. It's like he might put his hand on her shoulder or something. I don't know. Right, it's, right. it's very abrupt. Um, if it's there, you could miss it in a blink. But if you're prone to shipping, there might be some here, is all I'm saying. Anyhow, that is the Care Bears movie, 1985. <laughs> we made it through our 72-minute uh, toy commercial. Oh, but during the credits, we get one last musical number where the Care Bear cousins are welcomed into the toy line, officially. And they get their tummy symbols, which I want to point out, they already have on the poster for the film. So Spoiler. If this was supposed to be a, a big reveal, like, oh, what what tummy symbols are they going to have? If you're into um, My Little Pony, they say cutie marks. Those are the uh, icons that uh, reflect their personalities and their destinies. So if you were wondering, oh, what are their cutie marks going to be? Uh, spoilers, if you saw the poster in the lobby. Not that it <laughs> receives much import at all. They just kind of get tapped by a Care Bear and the marks appear. Yeah. Well, it's it's the main ass bear. The, whatever the hell is... It's like Care, care Heart... No, Tender Heart. Is that Tender Heart Bear? Is that the one? Yeah, I, I think of Tender Heart as the main bear. He gets some meaty parts. But in this most recent watch, though, really, they're all pretty forgettable. But, but hold on. Is, is he the one who actually gives out the symbols? I think he does. I think he's like the master of ceremonies at this uh, induction. He's like reddish. Well, so this so this suggests to me an obvious plot for Care Bears movie 2, which I know has its own plot that I do not know what it is. But here's what I would do if I were Care Bears 2. So Tenderheart Bear becomes sufficiently fed up with Grumpy Bear's lack of good vibes and decides he doesn't deserve his tummy symbol anymore and because he's the one who has the power to give that or take it away he takes it away and boots him from care a lot gotta learn to care more brah but hold on now grumpy bear it's like wait there's a full spectrum of feelings we feel and aren't we all about inclusivity here and so now you got to bring it back to marvel once again you got captain america civil war going on you got factions of care bears and ultimately things turn against the tyrant tender heart bear who giveth and taketh away at his own whim 
it's almost like a Sneetches situation where do you have the star or do you don't? It's this artificial construct. And we end up with something more uh, broadly inclusive than, than Care Bears 1 could even envision. Wow, I like that a lot. There's an element of like Care Bear castration. <laughs> it's, it's like uh, the Fire Lord at the end of Avatar. He gets his powers drained away. Right. What I do know about Care Bears Movie 2 is it actually has an evil Care Bear in it named Darkheart. Oh, so that sounds amazing. Maybe it's not too far off. We might have to queue that one up at some point in the future. All right, so, Dan, thoughts on this movie before we throw a rating on here? What, what do you want to call out? <laughs> well, so, okay, here's one thing. So, you kind of at the beginning suggested that this movie might appeal to me specifically because it's bear focused. Dan loves bears, which, you know, it's not an unreasonable take. I've talked a lot about how I like bears in the past, but I would argue that the care bears aren't even bears in any meaningful sense. Nothing about them being bears matters in any way. And other than resembling teddy bears, nothing about them actually resembles bears. Bears are like, dangerous and playful wild creatures like imagine what a dog is like when you think of a dog but heighten that to ferocious extremes but even beyond that there's something like that you could say that thing is bearish there's something bearish about that but these care bears don't have that whatsoever they're not bears to me they're not earth sign even in the slightest they're just color-coded plush mass market automatons like I, I i'm i'm out on the care bears they're bland they're not bears they're nothing to me so i just wanted to uh to clear the air on that one <laughs> bears in name only exactly <laughs> wow savage we're bringing you the real raw sentiments here listeners we're, we're sharing our feelings for real as we learn to do from watching this film. I did want to pull another quote from an either a Nelvana exec or a American Greetings exec. I think it was somebody involved with American Greetings. They say, of the greeting card business, when we started the whole Care Bears project, we knew the importance of bears in the market, but there was a void. There were no specific bears. So... It's kind of like an Indominus Rex situation. You need to be able to have your uh, IP. It's not enough to just know that bears go well on Valentine's cards. You need to have bears that you can trademark. And that's the whole franchise in a nutshell. I have another thought. Okay. One thing I spent some time thinking about is whether this movie was actually kind of progressive in some ways, like particularly some of the iconography and the unambiguously inclusive messaging, I don't know, bears some resemblance to what the queer community would adopt. Particularly, you got the rainbows as a very strong motif here. So are there things in the Care Bears and things in this movie that would basically resonate with outsiders of all colors and, and bring them in together. 
I, I thought about it some, and I ultimately decided that no, it doesn't do that. It's not about that. Because honestly, on the one hand, it's just a blunt and empty message. Like it doesn't have any meaning or any teeth. There's just no specificity or depth to it. And in fact, I would argue the arc of Nicholas, if anything, like he has this stirrings of something complex that is viewed as dark by the people we're supposed to, you know, sympathize with. And that thing is depicted as evil and needs to be quenched out with this uh, uncomplicated, traditional, positive sense of good from the outside. It's almost like he needs to go through a conversion camp and come back to the Care Bears version of what it means to be good and happy. And so I ultimately decided that that was not very interesting or meaningful, but it was something that stuck out to me a little bit and had me at least wondering about it. So I don't know. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is you gotta, gotta pray it away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I haven't done much research into whether this is a like gay movie, like something that's been reclaimed from its very obvious corporate inspirations, but I can't imagine it would resonate that much, at least. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, things that I've liked, I've called out. Just the Nicholas arc is somewhat compelling. Mm -hmm. The evil spirit is somewhat creepy. I like the circus things. I made this a circus month pick, and yeah. that's my favorite setting. Uh, I like the background music there. There's like kind of a weird menacing half song that plays where there's like chanting that's kind of interesting. And a not so good thing that I haven't called out yet is the animation is bad. Like it is, it's not animated well. No. There's a lot of flickering colors and like sometimes lines will disappear. Yeah. I'm not a super expert on the technicalities of animation but i can say for sure that this is all what you would call single plane animation which is to say the cheapest and fastest kind to produce but all of the things that move appear to be very flat and happening on the same surface and there's no depth to it like i think pinocchio was three planes if i'm not mistaken for, and maybe even four planes for some scenes, but this one is, is very, it just looks very flat. And I, I agree that that was a detriment. Right. Like if you watch just like a, a single, a single cell moving. Right. If you watch Pinocchio or Bambi or like the first scene of Beauty and the Beast, there's a lot of tricks where the camera will seem to move forward through the world. And they do it by, mm -hmm. like, they've got multiple planes with transparency at work. And it's it's really cool and probably expensive. And so, basically, none of that here. The backgrounds, too, are pretty bad. Some of them are just blurry colors. It's like they didn't even get time to draw them. Some of them are kind of okay, but in general, there's not much to write home about the animation here. I did like Full Peak Evil nicholas 
that was a cool character design. And I already mentioned, I thought Fettuccine was fun and the, uh, the spirit face, whatever she was. Um, I liked that, but in general, not too much to write home about. I will say I would buy a copy of the movie poster because it says what happens when the world stops caring and it's, it's got all the bears on the ship and it's got the scary spirit book. And I, I, I think it's a positive representation, maybe somewhat misleading of the quality level, but (laughs) (laughs) the poster has higher production values than the movie. Perhaps one good critic quote that I came across in my studies to prepare for today. Uh, Somebody at the time said, the movie, quote, has a lot going for it if you can tolerate the bears. (laughs) I'm on the record as not tolerating the bears. so. (laughs) So you can't even look past that. But I think that's a pretty big ask when it comes to a movie called The Care Bears Movie. It's literally, yeah. But with that in mind, let's talk about uh, what we want to rate this thing. Is it good? Does it have a lot going for it, Dan? So to me, there's something so crass about a movie constructed entirely around the goal of selling toys. It's not even a secondary factor. Like in Star Wars, you know, that's important. But in Care Bears movie, it's literally the primary driving factor of the film. And all of its design elements are built around that. The settings, the characters, all the plot points, they're all around like introducing highly sellable stuff that kids will want. And not just want, but they'll want to collect every single one of because there's a set of 15 of them or something. It's actually the circusy segments of the film that have the most redeeming qualities when there's actually like a sense of danger and it feels the least beholden to its corporate boardroom overlord. But even with the positive stuff, I cannot in good conscience say that this is a good movie or even close to a good movie for me. This is actually going to get my first ever rating of not good. A two out of eight on our is it good scale. I entertain some discussion about whether it's a low two or a high two. Um, I currently have it at a lowish two. It's possible parts of it cross over into so bad is good territory. And there's some fun and trippy segments, uh, mostly the circus stuff. But uh, honestly, I never thought I'd say this, but thank God for Robert 2015 for level setting what a one out of eight is a very not good on our is a good scale because this is definitely not that. I didn't really have to entertain whether I would have to get dish out a one out of eight here, but it's a no for me, dog. This is a, a two out of eight on her is a good scale. I did not think this was a good movie for really anyone, unless you're like a preschooler who likes the prospect of buying Care Bear toys. So I'm sorry to, to rain on your nostalgia parade here, Brian. No, I'm glad. I, I was thinking it might get the one, uh, <laughs> but it makes me enjoy the fact all the more that you... <laughs> inflicted this on an entire room of people (laughs) well did they have any feedback by the way did they have any thoughts to add to our discussion mostly i i asked one person what they thought of this movie and he said this was katie's brother my wife's brother he said 
it's a product of its time. Quite literally, it is a product of its time about products of its time, which I thought was a pretty <laughs> astute observation. Yes. Uh, but my daughters, they got through the 72 minutes and they, the only time they ever really reacted to anything was when the scary spirit was there. And then my, my older daughter told me she liked it when he turned good at the end, he being Nicholas. Um, other than that, the, they were fairly disengaged from this relative to other movies I've watched with them. So their indifference was a another nail in the coffin for this film for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, this movie kind of kickstarted a wave of products of the time movies that specifically were pushing toys uh both the transformers movie and the my little pony movie came the next year so it, it captured a zeitgeist in a sense if you want to call it that hey uh selling bonanza hey we figured out a way that we can just pry a few more dollars from parents uh, the 80s was the age of big business. It was greed is good. This movie for me, I was considering giving it a 4 out of 8, a good-ish. Uh, you've brought me down from that somewhat. It's going to get a not not good for me, a 3 points on our 8 point scale. Uh, I couldn't be too too harsh on... A circus month pick. I, I think I gave um, Cirque de Freak uh, my first two last week, so maybe I'm just blowing smoke. Uh, heavily colored by nostalgia, for sure, my judgment this time around. There are songs that I've been, like, humming all day. <laughs> da, 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 ba, ba, ba. And I don't think that's going to go away. Uh, there's a creepy carnival. There's a, a creepy funhouse chase scene. It's going to heavily depend when you first see this movie, I think, how you will perceive it. If you are very young, you might get more out of it <laughs> if you come to it with any kind of critical eye. This is not a defensible selection as a good film. Uh, but depending on what you're looking for, you might get something out of it. Three out of eight for me. It does have a certain childhood logic to it that I could see being entranced by it when you're you're younger, for sure. So uh, I don't blame you for that. And uh, I'm sorry if I brought you down on it some. No, it's all good. That We're here to share our feelings. <laughs> As the Care Bears would want us to. Except they would want only good vibes. They would want this to be a tour day good for both of us. <laughs> Dan's a grumpy bear today. And now we come to the end of Circus Month. The train is going to roll down the tracks on into somebody else's town. Maybe some other podcast will pick it up. I had a parting thought that I wanted to share that I mentioned last week. I have an announcement to yeah, make. Yeah, please do. And it's kind of twofold, because in a couple months, in September, 
I'm going to be taping the 100th episode of my public access show, Count Gauntley's Horrors from the Public Domain. And we have never done a circus episode before. So episode 100, which is going to serve as the series finale, at least it's going to mark a hiatus for a while, is going to be our circus episode. It's going to be a Halloween episode and a circus episode. Number 100. So big doings just at its face, knowing all that. But then, I always travel for the Halloween episodes. I've been to Salem and Roswell and New Orleans. I had a friend film in Transylvania one year. This year, I'm going to Florida because there's a town there, I think we name-dropped it at some point, called Gibsonton, known as being the winter vacation grounds for a number of sideshow performers throughout the year. But also, in Orlando is the home of Creative Engineering, where Aaron Fector created the Rock of Fire Explosion, which was prominently featured in a previous episode. And so I have made arrangements that we, actually both of us, Dan and I, are going to go visit Aaron Fector at Creative Engineering as part of this circus episode spectacular. Yeah, I'm so stoked for this. Assuming I can get the logistics to work, this should be a blast. It's something we talked about doing as a field trip for the good back in our Rock of Fire Explosion episode, and it's looking like we might actually make it happen, fingers crossed. And I am thrilled to be a part of your 100th episode of Count Gauntly. And although sad to see it go on hiatus, uh, I think it's a, an appropriate and a dramatic series finale, and, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Yes. When you dream something, do it. You dreamed it for a reason. That's what Chris Thrash says, and that's what I'm trying to realize here. So thank you, listeners, for experiencing Circus Month with us. Hopefully it's been a fun selection of acts. We got some magicians. We got some halls of mirrors. Some elephants. Some lions. Some bears. What else? A couple clowns. John C. Riley. Yeah, some vampires. surprisingly perhaps some trick riders just about everything you could want from a circus Uh, although there are more films should you care to explore the genre some more but next week we're free of it we're outside of the tent and what awaits us out once again in the broader world dan so i have three movies i want to watch this summer And I don't think I'm going to hit all three of them, or at least one of them might cross over into Labor Day fall. The first one that I want to watch is maybe not the one I'm most enthusiastic about, but it's the one that I wanted to assign because of where I am right now. I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'm at a beach house. I'm on my one week vacation down to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. You could even say that I am experiencing a week long beach party indeed the film that i'm going to ask you to watch brian is the 1963 
American film that is broadly recognized as the first and most influential beach party film is called Beach Party. And we've referenced it in the Pee Wee episode because Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello appeared in that Christmas special or that I think it was officially a Christmas special. And here they are the stars or among the stars of this film, which spawned a like seven movie series or something. So I'm going to watch as many of them as I can get through, but I really want to focus on the first one, which is the most famous one. I think it's the third or the fourth one that most people say is the best. It's called beach party bingo, excuse me, beach blanket bingo. And it might actually be the fifth one now that I'm looking at a list of them. But anyways, I'm going to get through as many as I can and hope to get to that one. But let's talk about Beach Party next week. Have you seen this one before, Brian? No, but I've I've wanted to. So I'm ready to check this one off the checklist. Yeah, I've always wondered. As many times as I've seen Pee-wee's Christmas special, I wanted to get to the bottom of why Frankie and Annette we're famous. So now I'm going to find out. And so are you listeners. <laughs> we try to provide a wide array of movies, explore film history when we're not doing just a deluge of one certain kind of theme month pick. So we do hope you'll join us again here on the goods, a film podcast. Good talking to you, Dan. And you too, Brian. Let's get the summer vibes back on track. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. You too. Bye.